writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. In this episode of Right Pack Radio, the Right Pack continues its previous episode of What Makes Us Say Nope. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, producer, and man who's going completely insane, David Allen Lucas, author of various things. Right now, working on creating the Right Pack Radio podcasting network with our new show starting October 9th, which maybe the week that is airing. <laughs> I've lost track of the calendar for the episodes. Um, and also martial arts instructor, president of St. Louis Writers Guild. And with me today is my lovely co-host. Hello, I'm Kathleen Cayembe. I write speculative fiction and you can find my work in the uh, Best Science Fiction and Fantasy of the Year, Volume 12, edited by Jonathan Strahan. And in uh, N.K. Jemison's edited The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy 2018. Excellent. And back with us today is... Hi, I'm Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a children's book author and illustrator. I have a little bit of a cold. If you can hear that on the microphone, I apologize for that. I promise I'm not contagious through the airwaves. There you go. And also with us is our Madame of Murder and Mayhem. Fedora Amos. I write Victoria Newdonics, like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis. And Mayhem at Buffalo Bill's Wild West. Coming soon from Five Star Cengage is Have Your Ticket Punched by Frank James. I'm also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime, and if you happen to be in Indianapolis on the third weekend in October, drop by Magna Cum Murder and see me there. Excellent. And also, too, Jen, you're going to be at Archon October, whatever that date is. It's the 10th and 11th, 10th, 11th and 12th, I believe. Okay, so that might be this week airing, but I'm not positive, but Come see Jennifer. I think Ryan is going to be there from the right pack. I don't He'll know be Brad there. Um, I don't, I don't know. know. I think Brad's doing a panel. So maybe. he probably will be there. Yeah. Kathleen might be doing a panel. Are you doing a panel at Archon? Are you on the Art, yeah. diversity panel? No one just told me anything. Well, okay, maybe well, she'll be there. She might be there. So there will be various <laughs> people there, hopefully. From and the right at least I'll be there. Yep. Since I work every Saturday, I will not be there. Um... We are going to... Oh, and I forgot somebody had that Oh, no, on the couch with you. Yeah, officially I will be sleeping on the couch tonight. (laughs) With me is also my lovely wife. Hi, I'm Melanie Lucas, the forgotten one. (laughs) Kalani, just to drive your point home. (laughs) Yes, um, I should have been writing uh, my fantasy novel. I even had time to yesterday, but no, I didn't. Enough said. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've been kind of going crazy, and yeah. you've been going a lot more crazy than I have. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to continue from our last week's episode of What Makes Us Go Nope. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time for this two-part series, uh, this is come. This was inspired by a blog that was put out there. The blog is called Heather's Writing Hideaway, and on August sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, she posted. 
a blog post called the Nope Book Tag. <laughs> and it was, it was 16 things that made her go nope. In this episode, the very first one, I know all too well, and I've already warned my panel about this before we started recording, because the first one's very dear to a lot of people's hearts, and we would take an entire hour just to answer this question. So I'm telling everybody, reminding everybody, short answer on this one, which is a nope trope. What tropes make you go nope when you come to writing it, reading it, and or drawing it? And by the way, with reading, I'm going to throw out there also any form of fiction or therefore being television, movies, or books, or screenplays, or short stories. Can does the nope have to be like a, a violent, visceral reaction, or can it just be like, I'm super tired of this trip? We can be both. Because I am super, super tired of the uh, of the liar exposed trope. I, I'm tired of, you know, we, we're perpetuating this lie for the entire, for the first two thirds of the movie, but the third act twist is we discover that I'm a liar, and now everyone goes off and be sad for a while. But then you know we're gonna. We're going to come back together and forgive each other at the end. It's just such a cliched, overdone plot. And the minute that it starts with a, a liar exposed trope story, I know exactly how it's going to end. So it's boring. So that's what I'm tired of for tropes. Don't you have before? No. I am tired of certain romantic tropes. Like uh, the woman who is dumped and and falls in the arm of the next guy that she finds. <laughs> and it's a romantic suspense thing, and he's a bad guy. Uh-huh. I'm tired of that. <laughs> and I don't want to read any more of those. It's like a rebound fiction. Exactly. Yes. Anyone else? I've got mine, but I'm going to wait. You go ahead and go. Okay. I'm trying to choose one. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, mine is in everything, and what drives me nuts, it's not so much a, well, it is a trope, but that is, I am so stupid that I am going to make stupid choices just to make the plot work. Oh, oh, yes. Too dumb to live. Too dumb to live. <laughs> I am signing <laughs> up for the Darwin Award as I speak. Um, uh, yeah. So I'd like to, for the trope, I think that I'd have to call that the too dumb to live specifically trope versus <laughs> the... Actually, it's the T-S-T-L. Yeah. Okay, too Let's get it. Sorry. I would like to make a distinction between that and uh, people are acting out of character. Because oh, I think yeah. people acting out of character is just bad writing. Too stupid to live is the trope. Right. <laughs> yeah, the yes. trope is that uh, your, your characters are just so dumb mostly because we need conflict. Right. Or we need to get information across to the reader or viewer, and we have no better way of doing it. Or we need to create some suspense at this point in the book. Right. Yeah. I think that's the most common one. That's a very common one as well. So that is mine, and a good example of that is Star Trek Into Darkness. Moving (laughs) right along. I'm sorry, did I throw that underneath the bus? Yes, I did. Okay. Can you think of one, Kathleen? Kicking over to Kathleen. Okay, I'm choosing two. All right, choosing two's two. okay. Go you for can it. Do two. Um, okay, so uh, one of them is primarily that I've run across it in uh, queer romance, specifically um, male-male romance. Um, and it's the, like, women are crazy and or evil. 
or just absent. Like that's, mm. I'm, I'm lumping it into one thing. Mm. Basically women are awesome and we should be able to be awesome even though we're not love interests. So I dislike seeing that intensely. Um, and it's a thing that is common enough that, uh, anyway, the other thing is, um, harem trope, like, like oh. where there's a harem, but the person that everybody's in love with in the harem is completely unworthy of any of them. That's a whole anime mm. subgenre. Yes. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. If you're going to have a love interest, like if you're going to have a romance in anything, make the two people equal. Like they should be on equal footing. Like maybe they don't have the same sort of intelligence as the other person, but they should be equal as people, not, you know, one person is definitely a 10 and the other person is like negative five. <laughs> but the negative five person is just like you, the viewer. So you should no. be able to identify with him, the hapless loser who can pick between all of these beautiful women. Didn't I just say that women are fabulous? <laughs> no. <laughs> I buy none of it. No. It just strikes me as highly unrealistic and it bugs me. It's that, that specific uh, subgenre is definitely a, a bit of a, a link. Let's call it more of like a fantasy insert for certain types of people. Yes. More so than it is like a writing character study. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the hapless loser isn't supposed to be a character. <laughs> well, to be fair, the other thing is it doesn't just happen with like female harem, male love interest, whatever. I know, like, it's in YA it, all yes, the time. I was thinking specifically of Bella Swan yes. in Twilight. She is literally pants. She is just a vehicle for the reader. Lego brick. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, she's just a vehicle for the reader to feel like these hot, awesome guys are, you know, interested. And her harem might be smaller, but she is in the harem story. Yes. It's, yes. it's being stuck between two boyfriends or more. Mm -hmm. So I hate that. <laughs> Since you threw out two, I'm going to throw out a second one, just to throw it out there. And I know it's one that some of my fellow panelists absolutely hate. Oh, goodness. You're starting discussions, aren't you? I am. <laughs> but no, I'm just going to toss it out there. Mm -hmm. We see it most often, or it, and it really is most commonly done for the female character, which is the damsel in distress. Uh-huh. That can die in a fire. <laughs> but, yeah. And, of course, there are the there's the opposite version, which is the... The man who's in distress. I don't know what the term would be for that one. Yeah, it's not common enough for that. It's not common enough, but either one, it's like, come on, seriously, are you, that that's your that's your character? Yeah. Is, oh, please rescue me! Oh. I'm helpless. Yeah. I can't think or act on my own. Yes, I know. And the subversion of that is a self rescuing princess trope. Yes, <laughs> I like the self rescuing princess trope better. Uh, the average, it's, if you could do either of those creatively, please well, do. Yeah, well, yes, I don't, yeah. And on that one, let's go on. Yes. Well, we are, you, you threatened that we'd be here all day, so yes, let's, I know. let's jump out in front on. of that horse. Um, number 10 for us is a nope recommendation. Now, this is usually more towards um, books coming at us, not writing them. But I'm going to throw out there, writing something, writing being recommended a trend to write and that is a recommendation that is constantly hyped pushed at you that you refuse to read or write or draw or watch so everybody knows I hate anything to do with 
romantic comedies. So yeah. unless it was written by William Shakespeare, sure. he's the only one who's gotten away with it that I've actually laughed at. So um, actually, that's not true. There's a couple others, but yeah, every time I get recommended one, it's like no, or actually some comedies. Period. Yeah. Let me just rephrase that. It's not just romantic comedies. It's various comedies. Period. I'm picky. And I mean, give you an idea. Yes, I know we're all geeks that are sitting around this microphone, and a lot of our listeners are geeks. I will confess, I could not stand even ten minutes of Orville. <laughs> so, it gives you an idea of how picky I am on my comedy. Moving on, let me throw it over to Fedora. You know that I love historical fiction, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I write. It uh-huh. is my baby. But one thing I can't stand in historical fiction is warping more or less actual events or at least actual possibilities with the paranormal. I just can't get there. Dead would go away. Agreed. See, that would make me sign up. <laughs> That's why that everything is for everyone. And there's something for everyone. So you really don't like steampunk is what you're saying. Oh, no, they brand with, with steampunk, fine. As uh, as long as it's funny, yeah, it's the mix of the paranormal which makes everything gruesome. And so you can't yeah. you can't go along with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That's kind of funny. Intended to be that it was, <laughs> but I thought it was way way stupid, <laughs> and it is hard to envision Abraham Lincoln, who was a very nice and very funny man. Hunting vampires. <laughs> he had enough yeah. problems with that. Yeah. And I disagree yeah. that it wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't oh, say yeah, it wasn't meant to be funny. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jen. Um, uh, in, uh, I'm going to agree with like comedy. Certain comedies I can't do just because it's not my style of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. Uh, I like dry humor, but like. Some of the British comedies can get too dry. Mm. And I like dumb humor, but some of the stupid comedies can get too dumb. I absolutely cannot get behind, uh, like, those pothead dude bro comedies. Oh, I can't I can't do those. And that's just because that's my taste. I know I have a lot of friends who really love those. But, like, I was watching... I was at my sister's house back when she was married to her ex-husband. This is when I should have known initially that he was going to be an ex-husband uh we were sitting you know she was doing something else so it was me and him and we were watching grown-ups too and i was just making absolute ripping comments about this movie i assume the only reason you would watch grown-ups too was so that you could eviscerate it and he got so upset because he was legitimately enjoying the movie and this was the 14th time he'd watched it Wow. So uh, so that was that was just two different types of people. I can't do those sort of like stupid Adam Sandler dude bro style comedies. Um and uh I can't do the I can't do awkward comedies either. Like I the my one that I had had in mind, you, you tipped me off to like the the pothead comedy stuff. But um the one that I had in mind, everyone tells me that I need to watch The Office and I tried I just can't do the. I guess can't do the awkward. It, I absorb it like a sponge, and it makes me feel all antsy. And I just I can't do it. So yeah. I'm sure it is extremely funny for people who think that that's funny, but that's the one thing that I cannot do. Yeah, I liked the office, like the movie Office Space. Uh-huh. That I found funny. That I could relate to. 
the office. No. <laughs> but real quick, there is one kind of humor I do like. And it's it's intentional humor, but it's in the story. But the story itself is not humor. And that is sarcastic humor uh-huh. or sassy humor. Uh-huh. And I've, I've quoted this um, situation a couple times. An example um, is in the Marcus Didius Falco mystery series books. And I can't remember the name of the actual book, but it's where he's investigating a murder, ancient Roman ancient Roman Empire, and he's with the Vestal Virgins. Which, by the way, the Vestal Virgin lost her virginity before age thirty when she was released to be able to do such things. They did very bad things to kill her. But anyway, he's interviewing one of them at night and is about to get caught, so they jump into this carriage of some kind and it ends with they jump in next pair next chapter with one line nothing happened turn the page next chapter i told you nothing happened and i'm sorry that was just funny at that point <laughs> understanding it so let's go with she has a dubs yeah. melanie and then yeah fedora and then so Kathleen. but back to um jen's point about the socially awkward i think you actually ran into my whole nope although it's hard to if the whole book was about that it would be something that I'd probably not read the book but I find even when I'm reading the book I skip over those sections (laughs) it's like I like the book but yeah that dinner scene or this this whole very funny whatever socially awkward is about to go wrong yeah, I read the book for the third time before I actually got through and actually read that scene. <laughs> Strategic skipping. I've yeah. done that before a lot of cases. And I don't do it just with that, but that's one of the things yeah. I realize I do. Is, yeah. Fedora and then Kathleen? We're into a kind of a line here that humor is based upon pain, Yeah, basically. Yep. A twist upon that, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> but I can't stand over-the-top pain. Yeah. As humor. I hate the three stooges. No. Guess what? I am along with you. I know I'm quickly jumping in there on dovetail. My dovetail. father's slayed off screen. <laughs> I hate the three stooges. Except. What's hilarious. I am convinced. Uh, Curly, whatever the actor's real name is. Actually studied Chinese Kempo. Because I have seen. When I've been forced to watch it. A couple of moves that. I actually know in my style of martial arts. I'm like, wait, did you study this? So that's the only reason why I do like, I will uh, tolerate it for a few seconds, but otherwise it's like drilling teeth without Novocaine. So no, no Three Stooges. Not for me. No, no not even with like, uh, like when it gets like super over the top, like cartoon violence. Is that, that's not funny? No. <laughs> I, uh, shows the difference between the Marx Brothers, who do all kinds of physical comedy, yeah. but it's silly. It's not damaging the way that if you actually did the things the Stooges do to each other, they'd be in the hospital all the time, so there'd never be a show. <laughs> Shooting is now over to Kathleen. Let me just poke out the eyes like the Street Stooges. I'm joking. I would never do that to Kathleen. Yeah, my glasses would get in the way, and then I would hurt you. That is the purpose of the glasses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Anyway, so, um, there, I freaking hate James Bond. Oh! Um, I hate oh, him so shots much. Shots fired. There are a lot of old-time detectives I can't stand because they're misogynists. Yeah. And the women in there, 
fiction are not women. They are, I don't, I don't think they even qualify as children. They're just, they're, they're Picasso portraits of women, children. I don't, I don't know what they are, but they're not humans. So you don't like me? So I can't stand them. Um, So definitely no Mickey Spillane for you. So my, uh, I have a friend who I absolutely adore who found out I had never seen James Bond and the world is not enough was coming out and she was like, you're going to come see this to me. You're going to love it. Because I like action movies. I like, mm-hmm. you know, watching super smart people be the smartest person in the room. But Jane Bond was such a womanizing jerk. I was so angry the whole film. She was like, how'd you like it? I was like, I can't stand that man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the only Bond I've ever actually been able to tolerate was Daniel Craig. Because yeah. he seemed like an actual human being. And not, you know, ugh. So yeah. The I'll other ask thing, you like the newer ones. Okay, go ahead. The other thing... Um, recommendation is is more of a blanket recommendation um there are some classics in the science fiction and fantasy genre that i am not interested in reading Mm. because um they are definitely like by men for men high fantasy type things where the women again are not women they are sex objects yeah like and and i'm not here for that sort of thing like we're people too and if we're not going to be people i'm not going to support you or read you or give you my time so things like that i'm going to add one thing to that for me i just thought about this as we're doing it and it doesn't fit anymore because i'm no longer in that situation but back when i was in middle school and high school any book recommended on the reading list that was given us to read or if we were required to read in class I don't know who the heck picked those books, but they really they have really sucky taste. All right, moving right along. This one's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, this one's going to be fun. A nope, cliche, or pet peeve. A cliche or writing pet peeve that always makes you roll your eyes. Or that you makes you roll your eyes if you think you're about to write it. Uh, can we actually read this one? Because... Okay, um, sure. What her... Okay. You read it out loud, Kevin. All right. Go for it. So the poster writes something that I am totally on board with. I hate when parents are not ever in the stories when it comes to young adult especially. I find it so weird that these teenagers, or even younger, are going on all these adventures and being put in these dangerous situations and their parents aren't involved in the decision making for anything. Plus, having family-themed stories makes everything better. So yeah, that that's one of mine. Like, I'm sorry, you're you're doing what, and you have no community around you whatsoever. You have no friends. You have no family. Nothing. Really? Yeah. Uh, focusing on that specifically, somebody I was having a conversation before the Harry Potter movies. So yes, Harry Potter books were published before the movies for the younger people in the audience. <laughs> um, so um, somebody was commenting is like how was this happening how could Dumbledore and the people that are supposed to care about Harry leave them with the abuse of Dursleys and I was commenting well it's like well if you read the book there's kind of some foreshadowing that there is a reason for that they don't come right out and say it but if you read between the lines there's a reason um and, uh, yeah, maybe it's not the best judgment, and maybe we don't agree with it, but it seems like they actually do have reasons that we just don't know everything. Um, but, yeah, Harry Potter is a perfect example of this trope where kids go off and do 
incredibly dangerous stuff with no adults involved. Well, and along with that, and just throwing Harry Potter, which yes, I'd like Harry Potter, I admit it, but sometimes those adults who are supposed to be responsible for him Mm -hmm. are throwing him into that fire. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? I mean, yes, I understand story-wise and the hero's journey-wise why it's being done, but I do sometimes sit back and go, WTH or WTF. Yeah, we just rewatch just the Goblet of Fire, and that one in particular is like, okay, fine, that's a magical contract. Let him do the first one, then order him to stop. <laughs> Alright, so cliches yes. and pet peeves. Pet peeves. Go ahead. Detectives. Who are loners and sad and drink too much. Oh yeah, the hard the hard boiled guy. Yeah. Usually that's where that falls in, but yeah. I'm pretty tired of those. <laughs> that's yeah. a whole portion of your genre. I know it is. <laughs> it is. And it's once I'm gonna throw this as extra too and unlike Kathleen, I do like James Bond but for a whole different reasons. But yes, what Kathleen pointed out, and this fits into the hard boiled heavily, is misogynist. Like Come on, really? You're going. You're going to. You're. You're. And it's always a woman in the hard boiled who the guy's got the interest in that usually turns out to be the femme fatale. Okay, not always. Just ninety some odd percent. Plus, she's the one that kicked him in the teeth and made him sad in the first place. Exactly. It's all her fault. Man, all her pain. fault. <laughs> he has no agency whatsoever. No. Uh. I have far too many because I'm an extremely judgmental consumer. Um, but uh, I'm, and because I have so many, I have a hard time like picking the ones that I want to share on this topic. Pick your five favorite in no particular order. Oh yep. my gosh! Well, like uh, that. We'll go with what we we just said. I really hate the hero that has no motivation. Yeah. And I really hate the heroes that succeed because they have all the right toys. Like. I have the possessions, so therefore I win. And it's like, you didn't do anything. This wasn't a triumph of character. This wasn't you going through some trial. This wasn't you having a skill above all else. It was because you had the right sword. the right. You had the one-up coin. You had uh, the, the key to get in you know, that your grandfather gave you. It's like, there was no value in you as a person. The value was in the object you possessed, and the only reason you're here is because packed. And, uh, oh, something that actually subverted that really well was the Lego movie. <laughs> uh, okay. The Lego movie took the idea of, uh, you're the chosen one, and then recognized the fact that being cho- being the chosen one isn't, like, that doesn't automatically make you good at what you're doing, and you actually have to have a growth moment. It was, it was a good movie for that, ironically. And also, it was like the first time in a long time I heard Liam Neeson actually enjoying something he was doing. <laughs> Along with that, just an example now, toss over Kathleen, because she just tossed up the dovetail as well. And that is, I'm, I know I'm aging myself back in the 80s, so it was also a perfect example that you're a chosen one, but you really don't know what the hell you're doing. And it was a TV show called The Greatest American Hero, mm-hmm. where a guy gets a superhero alien suit and lost the book of instructions <laughs> on how to use it. Kathleen. So, Jen, yeah. um, your uh, comment about the hero who, who doesn't triumph because of character, but because somebody gave them something, so they happen to be the person with it at the time. Uh-huh. 
bugs me too. <laughs> and it reminded me of the, the white savior trope. Mm. Um, basically where a white person comes into another cultural setting and like saves everyone, even though there are people who are better qualified than them generally. And often they're trained by someone from that culture. The film Forbidden Kingdom stars Jet Li and Jackie Chan, and I love them very much. And it's a fun movie. Um, but it's also a white savior movie where this white kid gets the staff that belongs to the Monkey King uh -huh. and gets transported back in time to like ancient China and has to, he's the chosen one. So he has to deliver the staff to free the Monkey King. And I'm like, really? And Jackie Chan and Jet Li are training him in martial arts because he starts at level zero when he <laughs> arrives. And I'm like, couldn't have picked somebody that was a little bit better at this? Like, anyone? He sticks out like a sore thumb here. No one else looks like him. Give like, the staff to one of the good the guys who knows how to kick people and let him go kick the people. Pretty much. It's like, great, your delivery is done. Just give it to one of them and go home. But no. So that, that kind of thing is just ridiculous to me. And like... I own that movie for Jet Li and Jackie Chan, but, like, otherwise, it just enrages <laughs> It's fun, though. You should watch it. Just don't use that cliche ever. more hands up? Number 12. <laughs> no, I don't disagree with you. I'm just moving on with it. Number 12. A nope love interest. A love interest that is not worthy of being one. A character you do not think... Should be a viable love interest. Can we put like a kibosh on the obvious answers? Well, give, yes. We can try and make it put a kibosh on the obvious answers, but let's go ahead and identify what the obvious answers are, and then we'll go from there. Uh, the obvious answers being obvious, being Christian Grey, Edward Cullen, mm -hmm. Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure there's probably also more, but mm -hmm. those are the ones that we, as a group, bring up very often. So yeah. I was going to put a kibosh on them, because everyone already knows that those are bad love interests, those choices. Well, now I have to think harder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Use, use your brain meats. The other one is, that I've brought up is the harem. Pants harem. Yeah. So. Yeah. The one I can't stand, I'll go toss over to you, Kev, <laughs> after I have this. Go ahead. Well, this go. is parental love for bad kids. Oh, and they let the kids get away with anything and everything, and they bail them out of jail 40,000 times. And, I, you know, I just find that sort of cloying. I don't believe parents ought to be that way, or that really any are. Oh, some are. Sadly, I hate to say okay. it, I see some that are. But, um, yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, I was also going to say the, and this is also true in real life, it does happen all too often. But the person who constantly returns to the abuser love partner. And it doesn't matter if it's male returning to female, female returning to male, male to male, female to female. It happens. And it's just bothers me. Um, speaking of abuse, um, <laughs> so I'm, going, I'm not going to name authors or titles, but um, there are some books that... I would pit, put down because the relationship that is being cut as a romance is abusive. Sometimes I'm not allowed to do that, though. So in that case, there have been some books where the relationship between the the two love interests was going was abusive in one direction. And by the end of the story, they were supposed to have kind of come to some equilibrium. But then it's clear that the abuse is going to continue. And that just that hurts me very much. Uh. Oh, okay, good. Uh, I don't 
read a whole lot of romance, but I noticed that in the 80s there was a subgenre of romance that was quite popular of the, let's just say it was kind of what you were talking about, that the male love interest, a lot of what he was doing was very controlling, mm -hmm. borderline, if not actually abusive, mm -hmm. definitely over-controlling. Yeah. Um, um, the what I was reading um, that I'm thinking of specifically right now, it it wouldn't strike you necessarily as abuse unless you have a more nuanced understanding of what is abusive. Hmm. Um, See, what I was reading, anyone it wouldn't have been published today. Mm -hmm. Anyone reading it today is like, wait a minute, red, yellow flag, yellow flag, red flag. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I was reading, I was like, flag, 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 flag. Yeah. But I guess it's fine because they ended up to. Oh. Okay. Yeah. See, I, but I think that's different than sometimes a book would do a non-healthy relationship. Yeah. But as long as it's not trade as a healthy relationship and an ideal to aspire to. That's, yeah, that, that's what that. I have an issue with when red flag behaviors are still, you know, this is a good relationship. Guys, aspire to this sort of yeah. Yeah. Over to All you, right. Jen. My, my romantic trope or cliche that I'm tired of or that I'm noping, I guess, is, uh, is the like all... You know, like like the Amazons, and then one man shows up, and everyone just like goes for him because mm. we've never seen a man before, and now all of our hormones are just crazy. Or you know, the man who is who falls in love with the first woman that he sees, you know, is like George of the Jungle or whatever. It's mm -hmm. there's a uh, like I understand that you know it, there's there's chemical reactions, the hormones, and if you're a straight person, you've never seen someone of the opposite gender, then maybe it'd be like, oh well, but. uh the, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like, here's your girlfriend, this is your purpose, pachunk, we're done now, and, uh, it's, it's just a thing that's been done so often, so I'm tired of that, I was reading, uh, I've been reading Terry Pratchett for the first time recently, I've been chewing through the Discworld books, and, uh, I started from the beginning, and the beginning was written a while ago, and you can tell. But there was one character that just, um, in the second book, uh, she, uh, she was, she was a sacrifice to the, the druid god or whatever, mm -hmm. and she gets rescued, and she's rescued by this 80-something-year-old man or whatever, and even though she is, you know, this, this supple young teenage virgin, uh, because it's the first man she's ever touched, they get married. Because she falls instantly in love with him. It's being played for humor. You know, it's Terry Pratchett. It's being played for humor. He's a, he's a humor writer. But I just, I couldn't see the funny in it because I realized just how tired I am of that trope, that cliche. Can we talk about how often that happens in Hollywood? Like, it's creeps me out to see, like, 40-year-old men, 50-year-old men, and there's, like, the 20-something, like woman that is of course going to be his woman is reward I mean love interest. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm like what happened? Which movie was it? The uh Dan Brown movie, the first one with uh, uh, Angels and Demons. Or uh no the Van the, the, Vinci, Vinci, Code. Code. the Vinci Code. So I was Sorry. watching that Bookwise Michael Angels Hanks and Demons is in yeah. there with like a young nubile thing. Yep. And like 
they started looking like it was going to be your love interest thing, like a romance thing. And the whole time in the theater, I was like, just please don't kiss him. Please don't kiss him. Please don't kiss him. I was never so relieved. (laughs) Oh my gosh. An interesting sort of like anecdote to to, to that. Um, uh, Everybody's favorite uh, Vincent Price. He was originally um, a leading man. Like they kept casting him as leading man roles. And as he got older, he noticed that his female protagonists in all of these romantic stories were staying the same age as he was aging. And he's like, if you're going to do this, I don't want to be in leading mans anymore. And he told his agent, stop giving me these romance roles. You know, like, but you're, you sell, people want to see you. And he said, no, I don't, I don't want to be in those. So that's when he started doing Shakespeare and horror movies and led us to why Vincent Price is still the best person in the world. <laughs> yes, I do love Vincent. And by the way, he was from around here. Vincent Price was from around St. Louis. He was. Um, another example movie uh, that you were, uh, Kathleen, falls to that very trope that you talked about, Entrapment. And that was with mm-hmm. Sean Connery oh. and... I had taken that out of my mind. Oh, I can't think... I, I, I can see her name. I can see her. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the biggest gap I remember. Uh-huh. Not counting fictional characters where the actor is much younger than the character he's playing. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was yeah. certainly one of the more visible gaps. Yes. Yeah. All right, moving along. Yes. A nope book. And by the way, I guess I'll throw a movie, TV series in there as well. But um, I'll start this one off. And I know everyone's waiting for me to say either Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey, but you know what? Grapes are out. We've, uh, <laughs> you just derailed me. That's also one that should be a note for Sorry. me. Um, but yeah, um, I'm going to throw a whole entire other series under it, and that is the Gore series, G-O-R, and, which is a form of BDSM fantasy stories, which I started to read without knowing what I was reading until I looked at it and go, oh, this is not what I signed, in, I signed up for. <laughs> And also, too, from because from, I have friends that are in there, plus we do have a panelist who's not here today who um, writes about that all the time. I know what was presented is not real. Mm-hmm. And so, kicking the can now, back over to Kathleen. Can I read what uh, the blogger wrote for number 13, a notebook? No, no, you may not. Of awesome. course you may. A notebook. A book that shouldn't have existed that made you say nope. <laughs> the Cursed Child. Uh, Harry Potter series, guys. Yeah. The whole thing was a mess. The dialogue was cringy and uncomfortable. It was inconsistent with the original series, and the end is, and the ending, honestly, the entire plot, was straight out of um, expletive deleted fan fiction. Uh-huh. If I knew it was going to be so bad, I wouldn't have bought the book, and I certainly wouldn't have been so excited. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi is all of those things for me. Yeah. It is inconsistent with, with the canon. It is horribly done. It is right out of terrible fan fiction, and it shouldn't exist. I am giving you so many friend hugs from across the room on that one. Yes. The Last Jedi... Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it. Bad, problematic fan fiction, and I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going to say... We can do an entire episode on Kathleen's beef with The Last Jedi. (laughs) Yes, and I'm going to say this. Now, honestly, when Star Wars first came out, yes, I was a kid. VCRs were not around yet, people. So... You never knew when you're going to see a movie again. So I saw it 22 times in the theater, first release. That's how much I loved Star Wars and still do. Last Jedi, 
almost made me just say, I'm done with the entire thing. Same. With that, now, kicking it over to Jen. Let's uh, let's take this in, into serious town notch. My notebook that I don't think should exist was a child called It. Um, do you remember when that. everyone was reading that book? Uh, I Actually, that, I do not. That real-life story of the abused kid by his mother... Well, uh, I, I remember the book existing. I obviously didn't read. Well, I didn't obviously didn't read, but I didn't read it. Yeah, I don't remember the. It details. was like everyone needed to read this, and so I read it, and it disgusted me so much. It made me physically ill. I came home from school crying because it made me so upset. And then I found out that the whole thing was uh, was a lie. That it was hyperbole engaged to write a you know an engaging story and sell books. And that's like I can't I can't forgive the manipulation of that. Um, not that I don't think that there's abuses happening and people should be aware of abuse, but that book in itself, I think, has it like set the stage for how you write an abusive parent going forward. It was all very civil, like civil uh-huh. was like this cartoonishly evil mother, and um, that's not. Generally, a realistic portrayal of parental abuse. Parental abuse has that sort of thing, but usually it's tempered with times of praise, and then they they hit you for no good reason, and that's the mental. I don't. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. But that's my notebook. I did not remember that it had come out as being fictional. So fictionalized. Yeah. Basically, I ended up reading like child torture porn. Yeah. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I'd say anything by James Joyce, who is reported to be one of the great writers of all time. But let me tell you that reading Ulysses or anything else by this man is just a slog. I had, I did, I had to read it for a class, okay? Uh-huh. I and to. Uh, I had to have a half a dozen resource books around me <laughs> and a concordance to make any sense of it at all. So any work that is that difficult for people to do, including people in college, I think it's just wrong. I bow before thee. Cause yet, well, you and I disagree about Grapes of Wrath. That one I am in total agreement on with you. All right. I don't think anyone understands James Joyce. I mean, what? You're not supposed to. We all live in a blissful sense of mutual confusion. (laughs) What is the point of writing if no one understands you? That is crazy. So you can feel superior. (sighs) Yes. All right. Anything else? Melody, did you give a notebook? Well, Melody's been hiding on a few of these, so I've been letting her hide. That's okay. Give me one. If you're sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to let you on. <laughs> you just look like you were hiding on that one, too. So. No, I, it wasn't so much hiding. I just didn't come up with the specific book that I hated so much that I... You wish it didn't exist. You wish it didn't exist, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, you know, there were some that I didn't disagree with. Uh-huh. There are the usual ones, though. Yeah. Like, the Twilight series, Fifty Shades, because those are yeah. abusive relationships touted as romance. But I mean, like, yeah. I thought we weren't going for the low-hanging Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. That's why I went with something else. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and plus, you know, there's so many books that I've just never read, and I'm probably glad I've never read them. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's not so much that I wish they were never written, it's that I hope I never read them. Uh-huh. Well, the ones that I mentioned, I'm I know there are other things that are just like them, but the fact is those popularized a lot of things in a way that other books that are similar didn't. Yeah. So 
take exception. Yeah, okay. The next one, moving on before we lose time, and this one actually I want you to listen to it because this is a change of how we've been doing all these questions. I'm reading from there, but this this is slightly different. A nope villain. A scary villain or antagonist that you wouldn't want to cross and make you go running in the opposite direction. So instead of being one in which we're tired of seeing or we think is untrue, this actually is a villain who you want absolutely nothing to do about that scares the bejeebies out of you. A very effective villain. A very effective villain. Very good at their job. Mm-hmm. I've got two. I've, Go got, I've got one off the top of my head. Actually, I've got two, but one's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so, low-hanging fruit, Darth Vader. Um, especially, you know, the way he's been more portrayed. But for one that I would not want to run into at all in a real-life situation, how about it? Oh, from, you mean Pennywise? <laughs> yes, from it. Yeah. I hate spiders, number one, but that, uh, yeah, no offense. That's probably the only Stephen it's King book. It's both a spider and a cloud. <laughs> yeah, that's the only Stephen, book, Stephen King book that did give me a Willis, the Willies. Normally, I don't care about Stephen King's writing, sorry. Go ahead, and then over to Fedora. It's a good one, because it was able to basically corrupt an entire town. Exactly. Um, so... For me, the scariest villains are the kind that you can't reason with or potentially even understand um, and whose emotions you can't appeal to. So, like, I love sociopath villains for that reason. Because mm-hmm. your feelings, who cares? Um, <laughs> I also love the Terminator for that reason because it is a relentless death machine and it will come for you until it is taken apart and you will have a hard time taking it apart. Also, aliens from the Alien franchise. Because, the yes, yeah. the Xenomorphs. Because you can't reason with them either. Like you just have to run and run far enough. They are making it any more complexly than uh, eat and breed. Yeah. <laughs> and and be and be vindictive because when the Queen Alien and AVP, like when all her kids ended up dead, she went ballistic. Well, she was more intelligent. She's the queen of the hive, so she's a little bit more high functioning <coughs> than all of her drones. Still terrifying. Can't <laughs> with them. I think we're on the same page. Mine would be Norman Bates, ah, psycho, yes. uh-huh. because there is no explanation for what he does when he does it that a regular person can possibly understand, <laughs> and so it's very, very dangerous. I I've gone a little bit back and forth. I'm going to go with my first instinct and say the Joker. Uh, At least some versions of the Joker from Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh And yeah, the whole uh, uh, not being able to reason with. Okay, you kind of can reason with him, but the issue is he just does what he wants to do. But um, he's operating from a, a a very firmly held personal logic and belief. Right. Like, it's not that you don't, you can't understand him. It's that he, he is completely lucid in his stance. It's just that he's not going to be swayed by it because you can't convince him otherwise. Well, there's another theory about the Joker, this author I've read, that in the comics appears to be the case. He shares one thing in common with Deadpool. He knows he's in a fictional world, <laughs> which is what throws him crazy. But when just, for some reason we said Joker, it reminded me of one that I also have a visual 
response to. I'm going to hold that off and let Jen go if she hasn't. Do you have one yet? Uh, I'm having a hard time picking a, a really effective villain okay. because my favorite villains are always the ones that have a redemption arc. But I think, uh, but the, it, instead of like a villain, I'm on a scenario. Okay. Uh, things that really scare me, like the stuff that ends up giving me nightmares, is like plagues and and uh, like monsters that live and grow inside you. You know, mm-hmm. Alien too. Yeah. It's the reason why Alien is one of my favorite franchises. It's just that that whole sense of like body invasion, and then you are turned against yourself, and uh, like like oh here okay uh, the thing. Mm-hmm. The thing is one movie that scared me so bad I can never watch it again because it did it so well. That body snatcher element where you don't know if who you're talking to is actually who they are, but also that sort of plastic flesh element where it just grows bits and, uh-huh. and, uh, and I just can't skin crawl. <laughs> are you dovetailing or? Well, okay. I was the dovetail is that was actually my second, but I actually uh, second one I thought of what I actually, this is more of a class of villains uh-huh. that I find the most scary, and my class of villains is the true believer, the uh-huh. person that actually believes he's right, yeah. uh-huh. and believes he has good motives, and thinks he's the good guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Those are the best kind of villains. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Fedora. I, before this is lost, I said there was one that you guys reminded me of. Don't ask me why it reminded me, but it just reminded me of one. And I didn't realize how much I was, a, how much I really feel the shivers, if you will, when I with this villain until I was playing a role play um, an online game and ran across the same villain. And that is the Borg uh-huh. from Star Wars. So Star Trek. Oh sorry, I caught myself, people. Star Trek. And just something about, you know, losing yourself. Very similar to what you're saying, Jen, in a way. Yeah. But you're 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 you've now lost yourself and you're part of this technology and you have no will of your own. You're nothing but a drone. Mm-hmm. And over to Fedora. One of the things that I think is really most scary in real life, as in movies, is a mob that turns. Take, for example, yeah. uh, what kind of echoes what Melanie said also, that these people thought they were right, apparently, in the lottery. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. But how easy it is for a mob to turn, find a scapegoat, and... Boom! It does not take much time or effort. Just a little push, and they're there. Yep. yep. That is a terrifying story. Combination of, uh-huh. of an easy target and hunt for personal safety. Yep. Did you have yours up for a final thing? If not, I'm going to move on. Let's move on. we got two more. Okay. So, and now for Jen's personal favorite. We talked about this off mic. Yeah. yeah How about a nope death? A character's death that still haunts you. Jen, do you want to just jump in? Sure. Go uh, dedicated readers probably already know my answer. I still haven't forgiven Joss Whedon for killing my husband, Wash. <laughs> uh, the and the reason I'm going to explain the reason why as my my point on this topic. Uh, Wash was killed specifically to upset the audience. It wasn't. He wasn't killed for any. Any reason other than that. I mean, like, you could have the argument that, you know, uh, we needed uh, something. It's like it made Zoe really upset so that she would go out and and kill things. Um, Or uh, now, you know, it's like nobody's safe or whatever. But it's... 
his death didn't make it any more difficult for the group going into Reaver Country. We were going in there anyway. We'd already lost Shepard, so main characters are being picked off. Uh, I felt like the danger was up there. We just watched Serenity herself get ripped apart, and she felt like a character. Yeah. Um, Swash was killed specifically to upset me as an <laughs> audience member. And that fourth wall break for the sake of just, like, hurting me, I did not appreciate. Uh, they, you know, he knew that he, he killed the puppy, basically. Yeah. That's it's like, that was a defenseless person that he knew everyone loved, and that if we killed them, it would just hurt people. And then they would know this was real. But that's a shortcut. You could set the situation. He already had a situation that felt real, that felt dangerous. And if you'd killed uh, characters in the middle of a fight, you know, or if he'd been killed, like, if they killed Wash just five seconds earlier, like, if he was killed as part of the impact of the ship to the to ground, that wouldn't feel so bad. Because that was the consequence of being, of an action he was doing. Like, he landed the plane, and so he got impaled by refuse because the, the ship ran into the wall. Then I would have been sad, but it wouldn't have felt like such a cheap shot. Instead, he landed it safely, he delivered his one-liner, and then they got him with a harpoon from outside. Mm -hmm. It's like, why did you do that just to shock me? That was obviously a shock death. And uh, I don't appreciate being uh, attacked like that. Thank you, Joss. (gasps) Kathleen. So, um, the poster mentions um, some deaths in Harry Potter. So, uh, too. yeah, yeah um, mentions Fred, George's twin, which made me very sad that he was dead. Um, but uh, as far as Harry Potter deaths that I am not pleased by, um, serious, okay, that's going to be a thing anyway. Uh-huh. But um, the entire Marauders generation basically being murdered off screen mm-hmm. is something that bugged me. Like, if you were, if you were from the Marauders generation or if you were Marauders generation duration adjacent like Honks was then you were going to die like you're going to find out after the fact yeah they all died yeah okay just okay yeah no how did they die no no nothing yeah i'm really upset about lupin and tongs yeah the uh you when you have i understand that it's a cast of millions like there were a lot of characters in that book and uh, you had to kill off some. You couldn't let them all live. Like, I understand, but uh-huh. the uh, it was another one of those that they were killed for, like, the whole purpose of killing them was so that Teddy would be an orphan to prove mm-hmm. that orphans happen. And, like, we know what orphans happen. But they're, they're such... Their characters as people that we cared about was greater than the ending they got, so it felt like there was something to be desired. Yeah. And we wanted to see them go down fighting instead of... Like, for all we know... They could have been uh, taking a bathroom break and gotten murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's harpoon. Yeah, harpoon through the cockpit when nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I felt like she was just closing off the set. She's just like, okay, I got this one killed and this one killed and this we've got one left. Can't leave that loose and dangling. Girl. Like X. Yep. So oh. I'll just say that he died in a scuffle. And Tonks would be very very sad. They just got married, so she's dead too. Yeah. Oh, they have a kid. Let's give it to Harry. He can raise the next generation. Oh. <laughs> okay, yes. anyone else got a nope death? Fedora's wow. over here like, no, all deaths are justified. <laughs> 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 They're dead. They're dead. Moving on. <laughs> um, in that case, we are going to go to our final one. 
And that is a nope author. And by the way, this could be screenplay author as well as movie, you know, movies, uh, screenplay, can't cost of that, sorry. Television shows, books, take your pick. And with that, an author you've had a bad experience with and decided to quit. For the most part, for me, that was Anne Rice. And if you heard last episode, I think I talked about this. I know I talked about it in previous ones. Was his was her book, The Witching Hour, where the epilogue, and I had been warned not to read it, and I had <laughs> to read it because after spending nine hundred pages just to get into the book, they had my heart racing at the end of the last chapter before the epilogue. It's like I, I've got to, I've got to read the epilogue, and I wanted. I almost did throw this book. It was literally mid-throw. I grabbed a hold of it and remembered that the book wasn't mine to do with, to throw it away, but I literally almost threw the book across the room into a trash can and then did not read her again for at least... Okay, that was in the 90s, and I didn't read her again until sometime early 2010s, and I still very rarely will read any of her work. That's me. Well, I would just reiterate what I had already said. James Joyce, too abstruse by half. No, by more than half. By several hundred percent. And mm-hmm. also, last time I talked about John Updike, because he's a misogynist and I don't care. I will, I will agree with that one. I had to read Rabbit Run for school, and I was like, never again. Mm-hmm. Like The only reason I read this and finished it was because I had a grade on it. Like, no. Ugh. And mm-hmm. I will throw out, because nobody's going to be surprised, but there's a little hanging fruit for me. John Steinbeck. Yeah. Grapes of Wrath. That was enough. And obviously, because it's a little hanging fruit, I'll go ahead and throw out Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. Those um, two authors. Yeah. It's not exact. It doesn't, I'm not sure it counts, <laughs> because she never wrote a book after this one. But Lillian Jackson Ron, the, her last Cat Who book, yeah. I was done with the series after that. In fact, anyone, the cat who had 60 whiskers or whatever it was, just don't read that book. Pretend <laughs> it ends the book, the series ends the book before that. I'm convinced that that book was written specifically so she would get out of her contract. That's how bad that book was. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard for a while. I used well, to read be- her all the time. That's but- because she died shortly after that <laughs> book was published. Oh, it was so bad it took her life. Oh, no, I, I think that Maybe somebody else finished it. No, 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 no. If someone, I I consider that, it was so bad. It wasn't the writing style. It was the plot. If if someone had had a ghostwriter, they would have done a more conventional (laughs) plot. She did things that pissed, to piss people off. Ah. She burned, she had uh, the main character's girlfriend cheat on him. She had (laughs) um, his home burned down. I mean, she did things to, she did not do... What a ghostwriter would do. Because I'm interested, because I used to really love to read yeah. her, but I just I stopped. Oh, <laughs> somewhere around her seven. No, I'm looking really quickly at the books here because I pulled her up on Wikipedia just to pull up a bibliography. It's like when did I stop reading her? Oh yes, I, and after that, her last two books were canceled. <laughs> yes, that, thank you. Just took the thunder out of my. <laughs> I was gonna say I finished. I stopped reading her nineteen after her nineteenth book. The cat who had yeah. 60 whiskers was number 29. They didn't cancel her next two books, according to this. They canceled her next book, 
which was no, would have been number 30, which is a cat who smells smoke. So, uh, yeah, okay, glad I didn't continue that, because I did love it, but I did stop. It was just the very last book that was just, like I said, I'm convinced she was trying to get out of the contract. Sounds like you did a good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good job. Yeah. Everyone she, writes a book for her goals. That was her goal. She succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. She may have been. She did, uh, doing my math here real fast, four years after that, after yeah. the book got published. But I think that was the last book ever published. Yeah. So, what about you get? What no about father? everybody else? You have no father? Or John Updike. John Updike? Rabbit Run. Yeah. Misogynist piece of something that mm-hmm. I'm never reading voluntarily and never have read voluntarily. Unless you count volunteering to make myself a decent grade. Uh, then I've read John Updike. And then over to you, Jen, if you want to. I don't know if I have an answer. Like, uh, I'm not going to, like, how about a time I was very disappointed? Like, I, uh, I fell hard and fast in love with the, um, with the Harper Hall books from the Pern series. Like, I thought those were really great. I was ready to read out all of them. And mm-hmm. I still, I'll probably still read them. But then, having done more research, and I have, I have a friend who's really into the, the Pern, Dragon Riders of Pern series. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, oh, well, here's all my resources, and this is an encyclopedia, this is all the stuff I love about it. And I found out sort of the, uh, the, lasted, the, the fast and loose rules mm-hmm. that uh, uh, she uses with uh, sexual consent. Oh. And I'm like, I don't really want to. So that put like, I put like the brakes on my reading. Of Amber Caffrey, like Amber Caffrey, she's she's very creative, and she comes from an earlier time. She's very she was a strong member of like the free love movement, uh-huh. but the I feel like she was working through a kick, really, mm-hmm. with the dragon riders because the whole thing is that if you bond to a dragon, if your dragon mates with someone else's dragon, you are then compelled to mate with that dragon's rider, whether or not you're in love with them or have a relationship with them or anything like that. So you could be married to someone else, but if your dragon gets it on with their dragon, then you two get it on because your hormones are raging. And that's sort of just an accepted side effect of being paired to a dragon. And that would be something that would keep me from being a dragon rider if I knew that I was going to have to bone a stranger every now and then just because my dragon got it on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, so I never re- read the dragon series of Pern, but I have read a couple of her other series. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really bugged me about Anne McCaffrey, not enough to stop reading her, but it really bugged me, because you can tell if you read her books back to back, she can't keep her own story Bible straight. This is true. People yeah. change ages dramatically. And the <laughs> children appear and disappear. It's like someone has four children, and they have five children, and they have four children uh-huh. again. Yeah. She, uh, and you have to keep track also, because at a certain point her son starts writing the books, and you have to, like... You know, she's, he's writing under her name for some of them, and it's like it's difficult to keep track. Yeah. Uh, but the, that's that's my my take. It's like I'm not saying that she's she's a bad author. She's very interesting, but uh, oh yeah, and it's that so- that element that I learned did keep me from reading the core three dragon books so far. I'll probably get to them. Probably as an audio book that I could fast forward through stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So. And with that, unless anyone has any final statements, once, twice, and gone, I want to thank everybody for joining in. Hey, please write us at 
Um, WritePack at windingtrailsmedia.com. That email is still open for now. It will be changing. Um, please feel free to contact us about any episodes you would like to hear. Maybe we haven't covered yet. There's still season six, which is getting, starting to get plotted as we speak. Also, too, um, leave comments anywhere if you tune in to this episode about what your notes are. We'd love to hear it. Even if you disagree with ours, we then do want to hear it. Come fight with us on Facebook. Yes, <laughs> or Twitter, or wherever you find us. And finally, please like and subscribe wherever you hear us at, be it on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, TuneIn, or any place else. And I do know we're all over the place. And thank you for listening. Take care. Have a great week writing. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.